Acts 9, verses 32 to 43. So, question. Why are we here this morning? Why are we part of of this gathering, identifying as those who follow Jesus or who are at least considering it? What's the goal of a life that's Christian? Why are we here? Answer, it's to become more like Jesus. It's to become more like Jesus. That our lives would look more like Jesus' life, that our persons would look more like him. But it's easy to say we should become more like Jesus. It sounds spiritual, it sounds right, but but what does it mean in, in practice? If you tease it out and and make it more practical and more tangible, it involves three areas. First, it involves our character. It involves growing to become more like Jesus in character. Growing in Jesus' love, in his courage and boldness, in his patience, in his compassion, in his forgiveness toward others. To become more like Jesus is to grow to have the character of Jesus. Second, convictions. To become more like Jesus is to grow to share the convictions of Jesus. I like the word convictions better than the word beliefs, not only because it starts with a C-like character, but also because these days beliefs is kind of a weak word. We believe a lot of things that don't necessarily affect the way we choose to live our lives. Have you ever met someone who believes that too much sugar is bad for their health? Or that maybe global warming is bad for the planet? And it may affect what they like on Facebook, but it doesn't actually affect the choices that they make. You see, convictions are stronger than beliefs. When we we hold a conviction, we hold it with some commitment, with some soul, with some passion with some sacrifice even. It affects our life. It affects our choices. It affects our priorities. Jesus had a lot of convictions, like that God is real and God is good, that Jesus had come from God to do God's will, that it took faith to please God, faith in Jesus to please God, that God wanted Um, to welcome home his lost, wayward children. That God's people were at a critical moment in their history, either to turn to Jesus, their Messiah, or to face destruction. That the only way to win the battle against evil and to find life is to lay down your life and love, even for your enemies. And these convictions and others that we could mention, they drove Jesus' life. To be more like Jesus, if we are going to be more like Jesus, is going to involve growing and sharing the convictions of Jesus. So character, convictions, and third, competencies, skills, abilities, actions. Jesus had certain competencies. Jesus knew how to speak about God in ways that really stuck with people, that grabbed their hearts and made them rethink where they were headed in life. 
Jesus knew how to challenge people and also to encourage people. Jesus knew how to disciple people to help them grow, to become more like him, to grow in spiritual maturity. Jesus knew how to raise up new leaders and to launch them in a way so that they could be involved in seeing God's kingdom come. Jesus knew how to discern what God wanted him to do in a particular situation. Jesus knew how to pray and really connect with God. Jesus knew how to cast out evil spirits to set people free. Jesus knew how to heal people and even how to bring dead people back to life. Jesus had all of these competencies, you could call them. And to grow to be more like Jesus means to grow in the competencies of Jesus, as well as the character and the convictions of Jesus. And, and so here's been my experience, though, with, with growing up in church. The churches that I grew up in focused a lot on having the right convictions about Jesus. And they focused uh, also, but less so, on having the character of Jesus. But they didn't focus so much on having the competencies of Jesus. In other words, we placed a lot of emphasis on learning what the Bible said and learning doctrines and the beliefs of the church. It was very important that we believed the right things and that we stuck to those convictions no matter what. And we focused some on character, though to be honest, many people in church were pretty reticent to poke into each other's personal lives and, and challenge one another to grow in patience or kindness or stuff like that. It was easier to focus on external behaviors, like whether people cursed or showed up to church regularly or dressed modestly. It was harder to get into the really nitty-gritty in, internal stuff of character, of who we were in our hearts and how we handled situations and handled relationships. So convictions, yes. Characters, somewhat. Competencies, not so much. Well, here's my experience with the book of Acts as we've been going through it this, this past fall. Uh, and as we pick it up again in the new year here in chapter 9, Acts focuses a lot on the importance of the competencies of Jesus. As do the four Gospels, also focus a lot on it. Acts focuses us a lot on the competencies of Jesus. And so I don't know about you, but, but given my upbringing, I've been playing catch-up. I, I feel behind the curve when it, when it comes to growing in the competencies of Jesus. And, and that's where today's passage comes in, because it places a big emphasis on competencies as it shows Peter, a disciple of Jesus, doing the things Jesus had done. And I think what the book of Acts is doing here is showing us Peter's growth in the competencies of Jesus, showing us that we can trust Peter, that we can look up to Peter, because in the very next chapter, we're going to see next week, Peter do something very controversial. At least it was controversial at that time. You see, Peter's convictions are about to get challenged and changed big time. And we're going to be challenged right along with him. And we're going to have to ask, is Peter doing the right thing in changing his convictions? Is he following God? Is he being biblical? 
in the scandalous thing that he's about to do. And so to prepare us for that challenge, in today's passage, I think Acts is assuring us that Peter is indeed growing in the ways of Jesus. So let's take a look at today's story. After spending a long time in Jerusalem, helping the early Christian community get established, and spreading the word and the kingdom of Jesus there, Peter is now on the move. He's traveling around Judea. If you remember how Acts began and the marching orders that Jesus gave his followers, they were to witness to Jesus first in Jerusalem and then next in Judea and Samaria. And that's what Peter's doing now. We've already seen him in Samaria. Now he's moving around Judea. He's likely following up on the outreach that Philip did in Judea at the end of chapter 8, if you look back at chapter. There we learned that after uh, Philip had baptized the Ethiopian eunuch, he'd been taken by the Spirit to the Mediterranean coast, and he spread the good news about Jesus town to town in that part of Judea. And now uh, Peter is in this area, and he's in a town called Lydda, and he finds a man named Aeneas. Now, we don't know much about Aeneas, except that his name in Greek or Latin, in both actually, um, or rather, sorry, his name is Greek and Latin, in both. Um, Think of the Aeneid. You heard of that? That's Aeneas. And, And this man, Aeneas, who has this either Greek or Latin name, he has been paralyzed and bedridden for eight years. Eight years, unable to work, unable to move, unable to take care of himself. Aeneas has suffered a lot. And now Peter says to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. And immediately Aeneas got up whole again. And everyone who lived in the town of Lydda and the surrounding region of Sharon saw Aeneas and turned to the Lord, Acts tells us huge fruit, huge impact from this one act of power that Peter did in Jesus' name. While Peter's there, though, he gets an urgent message carried to him by two men from a neighboring town called Joppa, which is about a four-hour walk from Lydda. They urge him to come quickly because a notable woman in their church has just died. And, And you get the sense that they're not asking Peter to perform this woman's funeral. I'm guessing that that Peter would actually like to stay in Lydda and to follow up on the amazing thing that God is beginning to do there and, and all the new believers who will need to be taught and nurtured. But because of their urgent pleading, Peter goes with them to Joppa. Acts tells us a lot more about this, this dead woman in Joppa than it did about Aeneas. So he goes to Joppa, and there's this woman named Tabitha. It's the name of this woman in Aramaic. It's Dorcas in Greek. And she has been a disciple, a follower of Jesus, part of the community of disciples in Joppa. It's amazing to me, incidentally, that even though this is probably roughly about 10 years after Jesus died and rose again, that in those 10 years, whole communities of Jesus' followers 
have already popped up in Samaria, in Damascus, in Lydda, in Joppa, places hundreds of miles from each other. And this in a time before fast transit and before instant communication. For those of you who have been at CBC for 10 years, imagine in 10 years, communities of Jesus followers having been started in towns and cities like Albany, Middletown, Danbury, Yonkers, all without cars or computers or phones. Here in Acts, things are moving quickly. They're moving powerfully. Jesus' followers have the competencies of Jesus to spread his message, to raise up disciples of Jesus. Do we have those competencies today? Well, Acts tells us more about Tabitha. She was always doing good and helping the poor. She had made clothing to provide for many needy widows. It's possible that she was the leader of, of sort of a community of widows, which we know the early church had, or that she was a wealthy patroness and that these widows depended on her for support and help. Whichever it was, they are absolutely devastated by her illness, which has ended in her death. Well, Peter arrives. He's, he's taken upstairs to the spare room where her corpse has been laid out. And by the way, for a Jew like Peter, this is a really sketchy act to go into this room. To get this close to a dead body that's not a family member where you have to, it's to make yourself unclean, which a Jewish man would avoid, if at all possible, in the name of piety and holiness. But Jesus has taught Peter to have a different heart about such things. Well, around this woman's corpse, Peter finds all these widows who are just devastated. They're crying. They're showing him all that, that she's done for them. So, what does Peter do? Conduct her funeral? No, this community of Jesus' followers has so much faith and so much expectation that they sent two people on an eight-hour round-trip walk to get Peter here. And these widows are desperate for Peter to somehow call on Jesus to bring Tabitha back. What would you, you do if you were Peter here? Well, Peter puts them all out of the room. And he kneels down. And he prays. And then he turns to this dead woman. And he speaks to her. And he says, Tabitha get up. And she opens her eyes. Notice the details Acts gives us. And she sees Peter. And she sits up. And he takes her by the hand. And he helps her to her feet. And then he calls the other believers and the widows, widows and he gives her back to them alive. And this becomes known all over Joppa. And again, many people believe in the Lord. And so Peter stays there for some time, no doubt helping to teach and to nurture and to disciple all these new believers who have come to believe in Jesus as a result of Tabitha being raised from the dead. So, so in this passage, Acts highlights how much Peter has become like his teacher. 
how much he's become like Jesus. Did you notice that in both of the stories? First, Aeneas. Like Jesus did with paralytics on several prior occasions, Peter commands Aeneas, get up, roll up your mat. Right? Sound familiar if you've read the Gospels? And immediately, like those Jesus had healed, Aeneas got up. Of course, the power wasn't in Peter himself. No, he pointed Aeneas and everyone else to Jesus. He said, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Take your mat. Get up. Let me ask you, how how did Peter know Jesus was going to heal Aeneas? Well, Luke doesn't give us the details, but clearly Peter has learned the ways of Jesus and grown in the competencies of Jesus. And then there's Tabitha, her body washed and laid in an upstairs room. Remember on a previous occasion with Jesus, when the 12-year-old daughter of Jairus, a synagogue leader, had died, And Jesus had gone into that house with Peter, James, and John, put the crowd out of the room where the dead child was, and then commanded, little girl, get up. And he'd taken her by the hand, and immediately she had risen and gotten up. Well, Peter had seen this. And likewise, here in Joppa, Peter goes into this room where this dead woman is, and he puts everyone out. And he says to her after praying, Tabitha, get up. And she rises, and he takes her by the hand, and she gets up. Do you see the similarities? Peter here is walking in the ways of Jesus. As Jesus told his followers, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, And they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Peter has grown in the competencies of Jesus. That's part of what it means to be a disciple. It's part of what it means to become more like Jesus. Not that all of us will be experts at doing everything Jesus did. Some of us will be better at teaching. Some of us will be better at caring for the overlooked and for those in need like Tabitha was. Some of us will be better at seeing people healed and possibly even raised from the dead. But one way or another, we, like Jesus, are to grow in the competencies of Jesus so that we can see people impacted by Jesus and for Jesus so that Jesus' mission can advance and his kingdom can come. But resurrection... Raising people from the dead? Seriously? Craig Keener is a uh, top-notch New Testament scholar. He's one of the most respected scholars today, and he recently wrote a commentary on the book of Acts. It's quickly been recognized as the best commentary on Acts. And I was able to get it over the holidays. It's, get this, 4,000 pages long. Four volumes of 1,000 pages each. And and here's what Keener has to say in this commentary about resurrections today. He says, Claims of modern-day resurrections occur in India and elsewhere in Asia, Africa, and Latin America. In some cases, I know the witnesses personally, and in many others where reports have come to me, I have at least interviewed witnesses. 
One may disagree about how to explain the claims, but one, one cannot simply act as if they are not offered. For example, Mozambique provides several recorded examples. While Pastor Surpresa Sithole was praying for comfort for the family 12 hours after a six-year-old girl's death and holding the girl's hand, he reports that she returned to life which had a dramatic impact on the village. One pastor's wife is said to have raised three persons from the dead, praying over the corpses as she was washing them for their funerals. Mozambican pastor Jorge was said to have raised seven from the dead, some after more extended periods of prayer, some fairly quickly, one two days after death. He seemed surprised at the foreigner interviewer's interest since his movement apparently did not consider such activity unusual. Just one more example. There are more that he recounts, all footnoted with references. Uh, and a warning that this one is not for the squeamish. A another pastor in India prayed for a girl who allegedly not only was dead, but actually had worms coming out of her nose. After about half an hour of prayer, she returned to consciousness and shared her post-mortem experience. This generated considerable attention in the community and was written up in the local papers, resulting in the pastor being visited by various government officials. Keener realizes that not everyone will be convinced, that, that some will say, well, these people weren't, weren't ever really dead. And it's a coincidence that they sort of came back to consciousness at the moment that someone was praying for them. Um, but he, more generally, he, here's the question for, for most of us when it comes to miracles, like, like the two that we, we read about in today's passage. Why is what we read about in the New Testament up here in terms of the miraculous? In terms of the, the number of times that, that God's people pray or they step out in faith expecting God to act and God does something powerful, something awesome, something that defies human explanation, that, that demonstrates that Jesus is real, that, that brings healing or deliverance, that, that furthers God's kingdom. Like in our passage where, where whole towns and regions come to believe in Jesus. Why, why is the, the level... <laughs> of the miraculous up here that we read about in the New Testament. And meanwhile, our own experience, why is it down here? Why is it, why do we see and experience so little, so few of these wonders? Why the gap? And, and what do we do about the gap? Well, here's what most of us do. And, and I've been guilty in, in the past of, of doing this myself because it's what I was taught to do by, by the, the Christians who taught me. What, what we tend to do is we rationalize or we theologize what happened in the Bible down to our experience today. And we develop explanations for why that stuff may have happened back then, but it doesn't happen anymore. Um and why we don't need or we can't expect to grow in many of the competencies of Jesus, that they aren't relevant anymore. And so we piece together a doctrine of, of why God doesn't work that way anymore or, or why the Bible doesn't want us to focus on miracles as much as the Bible actually focuses on miracles. But, 
we have another choice about this gap. And that is we can allow the New Testament to stretch us, to lift our expectation, our faith up toward where it is. How do we do that? We pray for more. We ask God for more, for more power. We ask God to do more. And we seek to grow in the competency of Jesus so that like Peter, we are more like Jesus in more ways. We pray, we we read God's word, we, we draw close to Christ. We seek to let our faith grow and be stretched up toward what we read about in the New Testament. And I can tell you that that's what I'm seeking to do. Because I believe my purpose in life is to be more like Jesus. That's why I'm here. It's, it's, it's to be more like Jesus. In character, yes. In convictions, yes, also. And then also in competency. Like we read in Acts was true of Peter and Philip and Tabitha and Stephen and others who were all growing to be more like Jesus and growing in doing the things that Jesus did. I remember maybe 15 years ago when I was in Canada and I was preaching through the Gospel of Mark at that time. And and it seemed like on every page Jesus is, is proclaiming and teaching about the coming of the kingdom of God. The reality where where, where things happen Jesus' way, God's way. And so the captives are set free when the kingdom of God comes. And, and lost sheep are welcomed home. And broken people are made whole and they're put back together again. And the lonely and the estranged are reconciled to God and to God's family. And justice is done. And, and Jesus not only proclaims and teaches that, that this kingdom is coming, but Jesus actually brings the kingdom. He does these things. And, and as I was preaching about this and preaching about miracle after miracle and deed of Jesus after deed of Jesus, kingdom breakthrough after kingdom breakthrough, I, I remember saying to God, God, I'm so tired of teaching about the kingdom coming and preaching about the kingdom coming, but I'm not seeing and tasting enough of the kingdom coming. Where's the kingdom? Why aren't you healing the sick? Why aren't you putting the broken back together again? Why aren't you setting the captives free more often than we see these things happening? Where is the kingdom? And the only answer I know is is that we don't have because we don't ask. That's what Jesus said. We've got to keep asking for it. We've got to keep seeking it. We've got to keep knocking on the door for it to come. And we can't control the results. We can't control the outcome, all we can do is keep asking. We're not going to whip up anything tricky or, or slick. All we can do is ask. God is in charge of the outcomes. There's no magic formula or, or technique that we can master. In fact, you notice in the miracle stories, Acts is not very interested in telling us how Peter or John or Stephen did it. In fact, there's no magic formula. They, they, they don't do it the same way every time, in fact. Even in today's passage, one time it seems Peter just 
strides up and he announces, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you, get up and walk. And the other time, Peter puts everyone out of the room and he kneels down and he prays for a while and then he speaks to Tabitha, get up. And she opens her eyes and he takes her by the hand and helps her up. Two different techniques, right? <laughs> you see, because it's not about a technique. Sure, when it comes to the competencies of Jesus, there are skills we can learn. There's training that's helpful. But even more, it's about our faith in Jesus. It's about a relationship with Jesus. About knowing who Jesus is and what Jesus can do and what Jesus might want to do in a certain situation. It's about pressing in closer to the heart of Jesus and to the heart of God and surrendering ourselves to God's will and to God's plan for us, no matter what. And that's one reason that we have a prayer team available after each service here at CBC. So we can pray, so that we can ask, so that we can grow as a church in the competencies of Jesus. Asking God to heal those who need healing and to set people free from the things that are holding them back or keeping them in bondage. Asking God to show up and to meet people where they have needs. In a few minutes during communion, if, if you'd like to grow in the competencies of Jesus, this morning I invite you to come and we'll, we'll pray that God helps you grow. Or if you want to experience God's healing for something or you need God to set you free of something, or to, to show up for you in, in some way, come and we'll pray for you. If we are going to be more like Jesus, which is our goal as a church, if we're going to be more like Jesus like Peter was, like the early church was, if we're going to become more like Jesus in our convictions, but then again also in our character, but then again, also in our competencies, then we're going to have to pray. We're going to have to ask. 